Have you ever met somebody that you considered to be fake? Someone that you considered to not be what they said they were, not be who they said they were? I think we all have, right? A time or two in our lives, maybe half a dozen, dozen times. We've met people that have said one thing, but they really live something completely different. One of the things that's hardest for us to do is an analysis in our own hearts and to see whether or not we are what we say we are. You see, many of us, we, we would claim the name of Christ. We would say, you know, I really do uh, love the Lord. But if we were to take the test biblically, if you will, would we pass? Would we see ourselves as being genuine and real, or would be, we be fake or phonies? You see, Scripture says throughout that just because a, a person has a form of godliness does not mean that they, they are godly in and of itself. It doesn't mean that just because a person has a conviction over something they've done wrong, then that person is now a follower of Christ. The world is convicted of sin, and when they get caught, they just don't want to face the punishment. The truth is, there's a, there's a love for God that needs to exist in all of our hearts. There's, there's a genuine humility that God expects from us when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a devotion, ultimately, to who God is and what He's done for us. This morning, we're going to be looking at three things specifically in Acts chapter 19. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 20. Verses 11 through 20. We're going to be looking at three things specifically here in this text. Number one, the incredible miracles, verses 11 through 13. Number two, fake imposters, verses 14 through 16. And number three, genuine conversions, verses 17 through 20. So number one, incredible miracles, verses 11 through 13. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. What's incredible here is that God gives the apostles miraculous power. They perform miracles to the point of even clothing that touches somebody that Paul was touched by, that person was healed. In fact, what's, in, what's incredible is this pl takes place in Ephesus, as we previously discussed, which is a very idolatrous region in Asia Minor. These were extraordinary miracles. These were not your typical miracles that people would have seen because they demonstrated God's power in expelling demonic spirits as well. You see, God was working through the Apostle Paul and confirming his ministry through these miracles and exorcisms. In fact, what's interesting is we've never really seen anything like this mentioned earlier in the book of Acts, maybe with the exception of a few similarities in Jerusalem. So something must have been extraordinary that is going on here in this text. Ephesus is the center, if you will, for the Gentile gospel. We mentioned that many churches were born out of that movement there. And the gospel spread to the Gentiles there, while in Jerusalem it was the center, if you will, for the Jewish people. Now these things that happened, these miracles that happened, were not some phony demonstrations of supernatural power. They were legitimate, Christ-exalting miracles. It's important to note that Jesus was the one that got the glory when it came to these miracles. It wasn't the Apostle Paul. 
God empowered the Apostle Paul to perform these things because it was to confirm his ministry in the gospel. Paul was the real thing, if you will. When God enabled him to do this, it was legit and verifiable. You couldn't deny it. This doesn't mean, though, that others weren't impressed by this and wanted to be able to do this themselves. As we see often in life, someone's successful in something, others want to copy that person, and many times we'll take shortcuts to get to the success that person may have. There were Jewish men here that are mentioned that were impressed with what Paul had been doing, and they wanted to sort of use Paul's method, if you will. This attempt is very similar to Simon the sorcerer back in Acts chapter 8, in which he's trying to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit for the miraculous. These men, men figured that if they could get a sense of what Paul was doing and copy that, they could get the same results. They weren't interested in the gospel, though. They were interested in the miracles. And unfortunately, that's the same even today. Many are more interested in what God can do for them that's miraculous than they are in their salvation from sin. They are more about God making them feel better about themselves than they are about coming to Him in humility and confessing sin. Just like so many people today, they want a Jesus that does the miracles. They don't want a Jesus that calls them to holiness and living a life devoted to Him. In fact, for most, most people in America today, their version of who Jesus is is somebody that's there to serve them rather than us serving Him. You see, what's interesting here is they wanted a Jesus there for them without offering themselves in obedience to Him. Paul was the real thing. He possessed the actual gifts of healing. Because he, he as an apostle was confirmed by Christ in that status. But there were others in this text that we see right here, right after, who were fake. Number two, the fake impostors. Verses 14 through 16. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was, was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You see, what we see here is that a different group of men, the seven sons of Sceva, they attempt to do the same thing. But the result they get is not what they expected. The demonic spirit answers them through that man and directly pushes back at their fraudulent claims and credentials. He responds with an affirmation of knowing who Jesus is and who Paul is. And he finishes by saying, but who are you? Like, what credentials do you have when it comes to the spiritual realm? This is what happens so often in everyday life, is it not? So many want what others have, and they pretend to possess what others also have. They're envious of other success, so they fake their own. 
which is why so many in America are fake rich, because they want to look rich. But in reality, they're broke. Massive debt going on behind the scenes. So many want themselves to be praised. They want to be admired by trying to take the credit from others in their accomplishments. What's incredible is when we look around us, the amount of advice that people offer others that they themselves don't want to follow. One of my favorite things, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, is when they have you know, entertainment tonight and, and they interview celebrities and ask them for advice on certain things, and I go, how would you want their advice? They've been married three times. I don't know that marriage advice is who I'd go to being that celebrity. I just don't think I'd really want to go ask them about what love means. You see, you can't genuinely be grateful for the talents, skills, and gifts God has given others many times because you have a wicked heart longing only for your own well-being. And if you can't see that, then many times you can be self-deceived. A disciple of Christ desires not to be the center of attention, but instead wants God to bless others for what they have done for Him. If we want to be what God has called us to be in whatever career we have, whatever ministry we've been given, it's important that we do so with humility and not pride. You see, it wasn't that Paul was going around bragging to everybody about his supernatural, miraculous power that the Lord bestowed on him. You see, if, uh, if, if some clothing touches me, someone's healed. You don't see Paul bragging about that. Because God, Paul's goal was not to show everybody what he was gifted with. His goal was to show who Christ was. It was more about Christ. And by default, that still caught people's attention. Don't long for what others have if you're not willing to sacrifice what they have to attain it. Whether it's a successful ministry, business, career, of all those things that we just mentioned, all those things take time and effort. And unfortunately, many of us think that all happens overnight. There are so many men, and I say this sincerely, I look up to in ministry, and I ask myself constantly, do I want their prestige, their recognition, influence, or do I really just want their walk with God? It's a question I ask myself. You see, these sons of Sceva wanted the spotlight. They wanted the spotlight and attention, if you will. And unfortunately, they got that and so much more. This demonic spirit was very familiar with Jesus and Paul. But when it came to these men, they were not known to him. So what about us? When it comes to the demonic realm, do they know who we are? Do they know what we're doing for the kingdom? You see, these men were fake impostors trying to piggyback on the success of Paul, if you will. They didn't want Christ. They wanted the miracles. They wanted to be able to exercise demons though they didn't want to know Christ themselves. Unfortunately, so many are the same today. They don't care to walk close to God themselves, share the gospel themselves, give of their time and resources to others, 
But they'll be the first to give someone a link to a person that can help them. If you want the influence that others have, you need to be as genuine as they are when it comes to the kingdom of God. There's no faking it till you make it in the kingdom of God, church. In fact, if you attempt that, you and I will be exposed for who we really are. Invoking the name of Jesus when you don't care for the things He commands is utter blasphemy. And the powers of darkness will only overwhelm you and I further. The truth is, every Christian has three things that they'll constantly trip up on. There are three things that will pull them away from God. And we know that the, the Word of God declares these things. The, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see, we're usually quite aware of our flesh, right? We struggle with it every single day. We wake up and realize, oh, I'm still me. Still in the same struggle once again. We're familiar with the world, which is one of the reasons why many of us have chosen to send our children to a Christian school, because we understand that the world's worldview is different than ours. But I ask myself sometimes, how aware are we of the spiritual forces behind the scenes, the demonic entities, and devil, the devil himself? You do realize, Christian, right, that beyond all these debates that we've been having about masks and vaccines is a spiritual realm that exists. And you'd be asking yourself, and I'd be asking myself this question, what does that have to do with the spiritual realm, all these things that we're all debating? If they pull us away from Christ, they have a lot to do with it. You see, Satan and his demonic forces have no reason to fear people that don't value Christ. And the ones that want to just make a name for themselves. Satan doesn't really need to bother with certain Christians. He already knows what they're doing. They're all about themselves anyways. They don't want to make Christ known. If we are faking it in the Christian life, it will eventually come out and exposure is bound to happen. If you care more about the reputation of Christ than self-promotion, Christian, you better bank on it. You will be a target. You will be a target. You will be a target by the demonic realm. Should you use Christ as a means only to benefit yourself, there is not much Satan and his demons need to do in your life. You've already self-imploded, if you will. They don't have much to be concerned when it comes to your influence. In fact, you're going to be doing what they would want, leading others astray in your deception. You see, churches growing in number but shrinking in doctrine are just the thing Satan would prefer to keep the followers of Christ in a dull state. Many churches today are built on experience, giving people a false sense of hope, a false sense of security when it comes to their faith. Their pastor is cool, their music is cool, and by the way, Jesus is cool. It's all utter blasphemy. 
These sons of Sceva tried to perform an exorcism by the power of Jesus, and it absolutely backfired on them. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why did it backfire on them? It's very simple. They didn't know Jesus. They were using Jesus as a means for self-promotion. The evil spirit, through the man, attacked them, and they run out of the house naked and hurt. Oh, they wanted attention? Well, they got it. Everybody heard about what happened. And it wasn't exactly the kind of promotion they would have wanted. Did you hear about what happened to them? They attempted an exorcism, didn't go well for them. One man took all seven on, and they left naked. Didn't work out. Embarrassment. Humiliation. See, the truth is, it must have been a devastating scene. Because this was exactly what God used to bring others to saving faith. This was exactly what God used to bring others to saving faith. Number three, genuine conversions, verses 17 through 20. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Nothing's going to stop God. Nothing's going to stop the kingdom from advancing. No phonies are going to stop the genuine from pursuing after the souls of men. This assault on the sons of Sceva by this demonically possessed man terrified all those that heard. Listen, church, God will use the devastating consequences or punishment in other people's lives to warn others as well. What's unfortunate is when it comes to many of us, we see the consequences of sin and still don't respond the way that this group of people did here. I don't know if you're aware of this, church, but God disciplines His children in many different ways. And unfortunately for many of us, when we think of God's discipline, it's a subjective feeling, if you will. I kind of feel the Lord was chastised me the other day. Uh, the flat tire may have been one of the methods, but I promise you it's probably not the only one or the main one that's really emphasized in the Word of God. One of the ways that he corrects and disciplines us, which is why Pastor Roman always mentions the importance of being in the Word of God, is he uses his Word to correct and chasten us. Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. That's one of his methods. Another method is others who are sent to us that are walking faithfully with God. Think of David. Think of Nathan. 
You don't want to hear, you are the man, in that context. That's not the context you'd want to hear those words, especially when your sin is confronted. But the truth is, God uses people in our lives to confront us on sin. He does it frequently. Particularly if we're walking with God faithfully, we will confront sin with one another, and we should respond maturely in understanding why God sent people in our lives. One of the hardest things, I think, is to take correction from another believer because the default for some of us is, but I see this in your life. Is that not what we do? Who are you to tell me? I know how flawed you are. Well, you know what? God also uses others' example. Think of Israel in the wilderness wanderings. Those are an example to us as his method of correction in their life, so in ours. And others' consequences are a means of discipline in our lives. We also have our own consequences for sin that God uses as a way of discipline in our lives. You see, our sin may very well lead to devastation in our families. I don't know if you pay attention to that, parents, but David lost his own child over his sin. Those are some brutal truths that I think a lot of prosperity preaching just does not cover today. If we're talking wonderful plans for your life, I don't know that David's result of sin would be what I would mark as one of the things preached today. It's a serious consequence for a sin. And I don't think we pay attention to that enough. You see, these evil, wicked things that go on in the world should always bring us to fear who God is and that Christ is exalted and declared to others. There was something here that stood out about the testimony of Paul if you were to compare that with the result of these men who wanted only the miraculous. Paul made Christ known. These men cared only to promote themselves. What we see here is a genuine conversion. Many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. There's a connection that's missed here. And I think it seems to be implied here that those that were most convicted by their sin were those that dabbled, by the way, in witchcraft and sorcery. It woke them up to see what happened to the sons of Sceva. The devastating consequences for taking Paul's proclamation of the gospel lightly, they saw that. Taking God's miraculous flippantly and trying to, if you will, perform it without him, they saw clearly the results of that. Those that practice sorcery and magic would never reveal their identity or method of practice, else their power would be taken away. That is one of the reasons why darkness tends to be isolated away from public display. 
Darkness is just that. It doesn't like the light. What's fascinating here is that they confess to their practice of sorcery and witchcraft, and they bring many of their books, which actually shows to the public that this was settled in their hearts. They were going to turn back to Christ. They were going to turn from sin to Christ. Here's the amazing thing here. If you actually were to count the value of all that was burned, it would equate to millions of dollars in modern-day currency. It showed how prevalent this practice was in that culture. You see, it's absolutely stunning to see what these people were willing to give up to be complete in their devotion to Christ. Everything that tied them to the darkness, they were ready to burn in allegiance to Christ. I think it gives the text a lot more meaning when you read warnings later on to the church of Ephesus to return to your first love. You see, these people understood what it meant. They burned it all. They took that past sinful life and they said, I'm going to burn all of these books. I want nothing to do with them. I want Christ. They understood that Jesus was to be their first. The question we ought to ask ourselves is what are we not willing to give up for, that keeps us from bowing to the complete lordship of Christ? To these new converts, it mattered that they severed from their old life. Unfortunately, so many Christians, they love to keep part of the old life with them. They don't want to let it go. If you told them to burn certain CDs that God convicted them over, they'd never do it. And I'm not saying you need to burn CDs, and that's not what I'm getting at. I've heard some legalism that goes over the top on that. But what I'm saying is, how much are we not willing to give up that these people were in devotion to Christ? What's fascinating is how incomplete our surrender is as believers. Those of us that have known Christ for years. In fact, some of us have confessed and turned from certain sinful practices as we turn to Christ in faith, only to go back to that old lifestyle that we swore we were never to be a part of again. We found ourselves influenced by the same ungodly influences we wanted to avoid, and we promised to avoid. We found ourselves more comfortable with worldly friends rather than God-honoring friends. I don't want to be around those church members. They're going to convict me about something I don't want to be convicted over. I'd rather go hang out with the world and be like them, but try to maintain my faith in Christ. Our music selection is more in tune with a pagan rather than a saint. We no longer fight the flesh, but we readily just give in. By the way, that would be one of the reasons why it would be important for us to see, to see the context here that we have Paul dealing with these Ephesians 
and then go read the book of Ephesians. And you're going to see some of the similarities of what they're dealing with here. And Paul still reemphasizes the spiritual warfare that we all must fight. So my question to all of us is, what happened? Why do we give up? Why have so many that have grown up in the church now finding themselves defining sin by the ever-changing cultural standards of the day? Rather than the unchanging Word of God. Church, we've left our first love. We're more emotional over the pain in the world than the sinful rebellion in our own hearts. We're more moved by people dying all around the world than we are of our sinful condition before God and what God wants from us in our own lives. We're waiting for others to go save the day. And we're not willing to fight the fight, spiritually speaking. We ought to be real. But if we're to be honest, church, many times we're just a bunch of phonies. Jesus may have meant something to us years ago. But lately... To some of us, he's almost become fictitious. We believe everyone goes to heaven, though we don't really come right out and say it that way. The way we share him with others doesn't show that there's any danger of hellfire except for dying of COVID. Church, we're getting it wrong. The souls of men are what we should be fighting for. Not simply whether they're vaccinated or not, or wearing a mask or not. It's time for us to bow down at the feet of Jesus and repent. To ask him to forgive us for the sin that once entangled us again. Instead of listing off the many things we're grateful for when we compare ourselves to others, maybe it'd be good for us to humbly ask him for simply forgiveness. We pray too many pharisaical prayers. If we've never placed our faith in Christ, it's important to know why He came and why, what His death actually accomplished on the cross. You see, God who is infinite needed an infinite sacrifice to atone for the sin committed by Adam against Him. Jesus had to come as a man, fully God, fully man, to stand as our representative. And if we place our faith in Him, if we trust Him, He promises us eternal life with Him. You see, the truth is, there are a lot of things that can be faked. And we may believe that people are saved simply based on the fact that they go to a church, simply based on the fact that they convict, get convicted once in a while over something they've done wrong because they have some Bible knowledge. None of those things save us. Listen, the truth is, we have to ask ourselves all the time, how much do I really love God? And I gotta be honest with myself. How much do I pursue Him? How much is humility a factor in the way that I pursue Christ? 
How much do I find myself praying continually for others in the gospel message in others' lives? How much am I willing to be unconditional in my own love that Christ showed to me? How much do I care to be obedient to what he's commanded me? And how well aware is the demonic realm when it comes to me? Do they know that I love Christ? Does the demonic realm understand what we're trying to do here as a church? We have to ask ourselves that question. So in conclusion, I have a simple question. It's right to the point. Are you real or a phony? Are you real or a phony? Ask yourself this question, is what I'm living now declaring that Christ is Lord? If you were to take this last week, would people know that Jesus is Lord based on how I live my life? And I'm not talking that one day you kind of finally realize you need to do it. I'm talking take the whole week. Have I repented of sins in the past only to get caught in them again and again and gotten to a point where I no longer feel shame for them any longer? Listen, church, nothing breaks my heart more as a pastor than when so many know better and they still practice as if they don't. We all have to do self-examination. We all have to go back to the Holy Spirit. And as Paul preached a few weeks ago, we need to ask God the hard questions. Because the reality is we need to know what's really in there. Do others see Christ, or do they see someone trying to impress them? Do I look more intensely on others' flaws than I do my own? Here's one for this day. Do I find the gathering with the saints nothing more than a ritual? Is there no connection to the body of Christ? And this one is probably the hardest for me. Do I use spiritual terms, but my heart is not moved? Oh, many of us know the lingo. We all know the words of Scripture to sound that like we are close Christ. Psalm 51 is an excellent reminder for, my, for us of a man who sinned grievously against God. The God he called his shepherd, and he was as a sheep wandering away. We'll just read a few verses in closing from the psalm, but I would recommend that you read the whole chapter when you have the time. By way of reminder, Psalm 51, verses 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous Spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Church, before we can reach others and teach others the ways of God, we need to be ourselves renewed and restored.